Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of A Light Unto My Path podcast. I am your host Howard Sides and today we are continuing our study through uh, the book of Revelation. We are in chapter number 20 and we have worked ourselves down to verse number 12. So we're almost to the end of this chapter. <laughs> so at least we've got that far but we've uh, been doing an in-depth study for those of you that don't know and just just stopping and hitting every phrase every word uh every description that we can and it it takes time uh this book has got quite a quite a bit of information in it and so i just you know i wanted to hit on everything and that, that's the the joy of uh teaching the adult sunday school class uh in the uh process that i do we don't I don't follow a courtly, a lot of our classrooms do, uh, you know, to make sure they get through the Bible in pretty much a four-year period, which is about um, the time it takes for the students to rotate through the uh, younger classes. But once you get to the adult class, I mean, you know, you're pretty much in it till you, the <laughs> only way you graduate from this class is going out to, <laughs> to the graveyard in the back, I guess you'd say, whatever. But anyway. Uh, so, you know, we can take our time and study things like this. Um, I've been the Sunday school teacher for, I don't know, I think it's probably coming up on 10 years, maybe, uh, maybe longer than that. I don't know. But we've, we've studied uh, the book of Acts. We've studied uh, the importance of prayer. We've studied um, the tabernacle, all the symbolism in that, uh, that, that, that's quite a, epic study in itself there uh and then we, we've gone into uh the book of revelation we've studied some other things too but that, that's just the ones that hit off the top of my head um i think i've actually put on here uh oh yeah in another in a very important one the history of the king james bible uh if you've never been through that look look through my podcast it's, it's about probably up into the very front ones the very first ones i believe is uh the ones on it and and I'll give the credit where the credit's due. A lot of the information I got on that uh, were uh, uh, were obtained, uh, I guess you'd say, uh, from Brother James Knox in Deland, Florida. Uh, he did. Um, I'm telling you, it was it was an incredible study. Uh, and and I'd go through and I'd have to put them together. I didn't have like the the layout of how they were actually put together, but. Uh, we figured it out, and uh, I thank him for that. Uh, I'd never heard anybody go through that like that, and I, I'm sure somebody else maybe has, but uh, to that level and extent of following the, the people involved and, and, and the events that took place around, I'm telling you, it was, it was incredible. It was incredible. And just, just how the Hebrew language, uh, how God created the Hebrew language, and then all of that, uh, it's incredible. Okay, well, we're in Revelation now, so let's let's just get on to that. Uh, we are in verse 12, so what I want to do is just read uh, verse 11 down through verse 15 just to kind of get us into the section we are. And this section is describing uh, the events uh, around this uh, great white throne, this great white throne. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, 
and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. A very scary passage of scripture there. Uh, now, if you're saved, uh, it's, it's maybe not so much frightening personally, uh, but when you think about the fact that your family and friends, um, I'm sure we've all got family uh, or friends that are going to be standing there that day. Whenever that day is, and I don't think it's very far away, um, just just by how current events are, uh, it, it just it can't be very far away, really. Um, of course, we don't know the day. We don't know the time. Only God knows the time. But still, um, if things went, rolled out of here just like they are now, we, we've got family and friends that will be standing there. Uh, and, and that should motivate us to um, witness to them, to tell them the truth in love. You know, we don't have to be hateful about it. <laughs> Some people think that's the only way. you got to scare them into it. No, that doesn't work. It doesn't work. God does the save, and all we can do is the witnessing part. Okay, now, uh, let's get into it. And I saw the dead, small and great. Now, it's quite, I just said it. It's quite a terrible thought that the earth and the heavens were able to flee, uh, but not so with man. And, and everybody who is a non-believer, an unbeliever, however you want to say it, a sinner, uh, they're going to be standing there. Um, the, even in, during the tribulation time when things were as bad as they were, um, and, so, and some of them, you know, they wanted to, uh, begged God to kill them, you know, the mountains to fall on them. They wouldn't fall on them. Well, here's their day. This is the day. Now, note that the word dead here indicates their spiritual condition. Uh, now, most of these are probably going to be physically dead, but this is talking about their spiritual condition. They are spiritually dead, which means those who rejected Christ all the way from Cain to the very last unbeliever who takes part in the rebellion at the end of the millennial reign will be included in this group uh this is not a uh what we would call a general judgment as in everybody's going to uh, you know everybody's judged the exact same uh this is rather a very specific judgment um uh, number one uh the church will not be here as they will have already been judged at the bema seat number two israel will not be here as they were already judged during the tribulation period uh, so we see, number three, this is a judgment of the spiritually dead only. And this phrase emphasizes that no one is exempt. All the dead, small, great, whoever they were, they're all going to be here. All who have died without Jesus Christ, regardless of their status in human history, religiously, politically, economically, or even morally, they all must stand before this throne to face the judgment of Jesus Christ. Now, this phrase occurs uh, seven times in the Old Testament, one time in Acts chapter 26 uh, and verse 22, and then five times in the book of Revelation. And I'm talking about the phrase small and great. Okay. Now in this phrase, uh, some dispute whether mankind will be resurrected 
all at a certain age or at the age when they died. And what I'm talking about by that is some people are speculating, well, uh, when we all get to heaven, are we going to be like age 32 or are we all going to be like 40 years old or are we all going to be in heaven at the age of when we died? What, what does it matter? <laughs> you know, really, when it boils down to it, what, what does it matter? Uh, I'll tell you the truth. We ought to just be thankful and happy we're there. Uh, but but it, when it comes to this group here uh, that's going to be judged and sentenced to the lake of fire, again, what does it matter? What does it matter? Um, I mean, if you push me on it, what is what is my position on it? What do I really think? I mean, you know, really really doesn't matter, but I, I think it would probably be uh, whatever age we maybe died at. I, I mean, now given we're going to be, we're all going to have spiritually, uh, spiritual bodies, so it's not like we're going to be frail. Uh, we're not going to be crippled. We're not going to be hindered with any of the things that we had on earth. So uh, I don't think age really even factors into it. Um, you know, <laughs> doesn't matter how old y'all. Uh, now the next phrase. Uh, it says, stand before God. Now, that alone uh, is, is a frightening opposition uh, phrase in and of itself right there, to have to stand before the judge alone. Now, again, this judgment will be singular in that each and every person will have to face the judge one at a time. And this is a fulfillment of the principle of Hebrews 9.27, which states, it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Now, John's use of the word here, stand, uh, it just stood out to me. It was very interesting. So I went in looking into the history uh, and the meaning behind it. Now, this is the Greek word histemi, H-I-S-T-E-M-I, histemi, which means to cause or make to stand in place. To bid to stand by or to set or place in a balance. So in every single instance in the Bible where man, after Adam, comes face to face with Christ, as in the angel of the Lord or any other form of another angel, they fall on their face. Uh, it's, it's inherent through the book of Acts. Uh, not the book of Acts, I'm sorry, the book of Daniel. When Daniel see, he's continually falling on his face. <laughs> Why? Uh, because we in our sinful nature just can't handle being that near something that holy. Now, we like to think we're pretty holy and pretty righteous people, but I'm telling you, uh, not not so. Not yet, anyway, until uh, we get to heaven. Then, then we can. But here this word stand indicates by the definition that man will want to fall on his face, but Christ will not allow it. Remember that word histemi, it means it uh, means to cause or make to stand in place. Now, like we said earlier, now the heavens and the earth, they, they get to flee away. They get to, to, you know, they get to run and hide. Uh, but not so for man. Not so for the unbeliever. So this is not a voluntary position or even a choice. All are made to stand. All are made to stand. Uh, Charles John Ellicott uh, has an interesting explanation for this phrase in his commentary on the book of Revelation. And he said, and I quote, We are apt 
to picture to ourselves a great dramatic scene, host beyond host, rank behind rank, the millions who have lived upon the earth, all standing crowded together in the indescribable presence of one who looks not merely at the mass, but at the individual, and sees through the whole life and character of every single soul. The picture is sublime, and it is what the words of St. John are intended to suggest. But we must get behind the picture to its meaning. The picture must describe not one scene only, but the whole nature and condition of the everlasting life. The souls of men in the eternal world are always, in the quotes, standing before God, end quote. And what does that mean? We understand at once if we consider that this, uh, that that before which a man stands is the standard or test or source of judgment for his life. Every soul that counts itself capable of judgment and responsibility stands in some presence by which the nature of its judgment is decreed. The higher the presence, the loftier and greater, though often the more oppressed and anxious is the life. A weak man who wants to shirk the seriousness and anxiety of life goes down into some lower chamber and stands before some baser judge, whose standards will be less exacting. A strong, ambitious man presses up from judgment room to judgment room and is not satisfied with meeting any standard perfectly so long as there is any higher standard which he has not faced. So, end quote. Now, uh, in this point, this standing posture that we're talking about here before God or, or Jesus Christ illustrates to us that there is no trial to go through here. This is not a presentation of any case whereby one may be found innocent or guilty. The judgment has already been passed. Uh, John chapter 3 uh, verse 18 tells us, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now note that this posture of standing is repeated in our courtrooms today as the moment when sentencing is announced. You know, when a jury is out and they come back in or, or even if you're just standing in front of a judge, they'll ask you to stand uh, before the judgment is pronounced or announced. Uh, now, Dr. Anthony Garland, he states, and I quote, uh, the immediate presence of God will be a terror unimagined by them, for they are the object of his wrath in righteous judgment. This will be their only time of intimacy with God, and it results in devastating negative consequences, end quote. Uh, now, Dave Guzik also had this to say, and I quote, before because this is a sentencing and not a trial, those who stand before the throne have nothing to say. Many think they will tell God a thing or two at the final judgment. As reflected in this letter to Dear Abby, a newspaper advice column uh, written some years ago. Dear Abby, I am troubled with something a reader wrote. What right do we mortals have to demand an explanation from God? Abby, that writer, has never known the gut-wrenching pain of losing a child. God didn't answer my prayers, and I resent being told that I have no right to question God. If there is a God, and if I ever get to meet him face to face, you can bet your life I will have plenty of whys for him to answer. 
I want to know why my little girl died and why that drunk was allowed to go on living. I love her more than my life, and I miss her so. I am mad that I am having to live in a world where she no longer lives, and I want to know why. Why shouldn't I have the right to ask God? Aren't we supposedly created in his image? If so, surely he has a heart and soul capable of hurting just as I hurt. Why would he not expect to be questioned if he has anything to do with miracles? I don't fear the Lord, and I don't fear hell either. I know what hell is like. I've already been there since the day my precious daughter was killed. Please sign me a bereaved mother. Of course... Oh, sorry about that. Let me get rid of my... Right, sorry, but that was my little notifications thing. And Roadrunner's uh, one of my favorite characters, so that's why. <laughs> okay, back to his court. Uh, his quote. He just finished reading this letter, uh, and, and he said, a bereaved mother. Uh, and then he goes back to, to making this comment. Now, of course, there will be no criticism of God on that day. This desperate woman will see not only the righteousness and goodness of God, but she will also see her own sin and rejection of him more clearly than ever. One could only pray and hope she came to understand how the father himself knew the pain she experienced and sent his son to give her hope and redemption, end quote. Yeah, all these people that think they're going to give God a thing or two or uh, put grill him, no, that ain't going to happen. No, it'll be too late then. Okay, uh, the next phrase here in verse 12, and the books were opened, and the books were opened. Now, these books will be opened in which the recording angel has kept a record of every person's life, and they will be judged every man according to his works. Now, I use the phrase recording angel. I don't know if an angel actually is recording all this or God himself is actually doing it. The Bible never says, <laughs> okay? But I, I just said that, a recording angel, okay? So don't get stumped on that. Uh, nowhere in the Bible does it say there's a recording angel, but it does say there is a record, okay? Uh, now, some will be sentenced to a more severe punishment than others, but none will escape. The worst of all is that those who were not so bad must still spend eternity with all the ungodly and that in the lake of fire. A uh, lot of people are going to go to hell thinking that as long as I do my best, God's going to have no choice but to accept that I did my best. And they are deceiving themselves right through the gates of hell. They really are. I, it's, it's a scary thought, but that's what's happening. Now, uh, these books. Uh, now, here it doesn't tell us what the titles of the books are. We do know that the, the fact that the letter S is at the end, there's more than one book that's going to be used. Um, doesn't matter who uh, you read and and uh, look at their commentaries and things like that, they've all got uh, opinions on it. The Bible itself actually mentions uh, some of the books, like it does the crowns and things like that. Um, I'm going to put some out there and uh, use scripture that talks about certain ones and, uh, yeah, you know, I, this is no profound statement that, yes, these books will be there, 
And anybody who says otherwise, they're wrong. No. It's just using scripture to comment on some of these books. Okay. Uh, the first book. And, and, and I really don't think anybody have any argument with this. I believe God's word is going to be one of them books. I mean, it is the foundation of our belief and, and our, the source of our knowledge of, of right and wrong. I believe God's word will be one of those books. And God's word by being there will represent revelation. Revelation. It reveals things. It, it's there. John chapter 12 verse 48 says, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Now this book will be used to show that they failed to accept and act on God's revelation of himself. It says right there, the word that I've spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. So I firmly believe God's word, the Bible, will be there. Uh, another book that'll be there is called the Book of Remembrance. The Book of Remembrance. And this is going to represent recognition. Recognition. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 16 says, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. Um, now, it says there, a, a book of remembrance. And it says, was written before him. So that's kind of where I get that recording angel thing from. That something was written in front of him. <laughs> and he was overseeing it. Um, another reference, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have give them, given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. So this book will be a complete list of every thought, word, and deed. It's all recorded. That's a scary thought. I mean, just think about that. Every thought, uh, every deed you've done, every word you've said, man, that, that's a lot of information. Uh, another one's going to be the book of conscience. The book of conscience. And this represents reflection. Reflection. Romans chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Uh, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts demean while accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So this book records every time their conscience thought about or mentioned God and they just dismissed it or let it die away on its own. Uh, another book, The Tablets of Memory. Uh, this represents recollection. Recollection. Luke 16, 25 says, But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. So, there's going to be, you remember 
on this day, you remember this happened, and you remember that happened, and you remember at this event, you remember that, you remember a tablet of memory. Uh, now, Alexander Campbell uh, is a minister who was part of what is called the Restoration Movement, the Restoration Movement, which took place during the Second Great Awakening. Now, there was the First Great Awakening, but there was also a second one. There was two great revivals in this country, yeah. Uh, but he had a message based on this text. And the books he mentioned, um, and he's got an extensive list, and he's got scripture to back it up. Uh, but, I, you know, I'll, I'll kind of go through them just because I've got them in here, just for your reference, your information. Uh, he mentions the book of nature, Psalms 19, 1 through 6. Uh, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth its handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Romans 1.20 For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 17. Nope, that's the book of Acts. Sorry. <laughs> Just read Romans. Acts chapter 14, Verse 17 says, Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. That is a witness. That is a testimony. Uh, and then he goes on to say, there is, But there is no such thing as forgiveness in nature. The book of nature does not reveal Christ. Um, it, it reveals God. It reveals creation. Um, so there is that. All right. Now he also mentions a book of remembrance. Uh, he quoted Malachi three 16. I've already talked about that one. Uh, he also mentions Isaiah chapter 30 verses eight through nine. Uh, now go write it before them in a table and note it in a book that it may be for the time to come forever and ever that this is a rebellious people, lying children, children that will not hear the law of the Lord. Uh, hmm. He did call them a stiff-necked people, didn't he? <laughs> I think the same thing could be said of us. If we're honest. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, uh, verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. Luke chapter 8, verse 17. For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid, that shall not be known and come abroad. Romans 2, 16, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Now note, there are some things that God will not remember. Some things that God will not remember. Jeremiah 31, uh, verse 31 through 35, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, 
although I wasn't husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. Uh, he also mentions the Old Testament specifically. Uh, the great continuing witness of all ages is the Bible. The Old Testament continues to be the most impressive witness of the deity and Godhead of Christ in that it establishes his credentials historically uh, for ages prior to the incarnation. In incarnation, if you're not familiar with that, that is when Jesus Christ came in uh the flesh. Uh, Luke twenty four forty four, And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. John chapter 5, 34. But I receive not testimony from man, but these things I say that you might be saved. John 10, 35, if he called them gods unto whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. Uh, Matthew twenty two twenty nine. Jesus answered and said unto them, ye do err, not knowing the scriptures, <laughs> nor the power of God. Uh, he just called it out like it was, didn't he? Uh, he didn't code it. Luke 24, 25, then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And, you know, he said, hey, you believe everything you wrote, but you won't believe me? <laughs> uh, and then he um, lists the New Testament. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 and 26. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon a rock. The sand. Uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. John chapter 12, verse 48. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. We mentioned that before. Uh, the word of the Lord, the gospel, endureth forever. Um, I, I'm just going, this is, it just keeps going on and on. <laughs> I'll, I'll read some of them. They're, they're kind of short. So. Matthew 24, 35. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. John 6, 68. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Hebrews 2, 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord 
and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. 1 Peter 1.25 But the word of the Lord endureth forever, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. 2 Peter 3 and verse 2 That you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Another book he says will be there will be the record of every man's works. All of the sacred writers make it clear that people shall be judged according to their works. Modern theology is very uncomfortable in the light of this truth, but the record of every person's deeds will surely enter into the judgment which he shall receive. Uh, Jesus taught this. John 5, 29. And shall come forth that they have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Uh, the next reference, I don't have time to read it all because it's so long, but I'll give it to you. Uh, Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46. Uh, the next one uh, is Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49. And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. He is like a man which built an house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house <clears throat> and could not shake it. For it was founded upon a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built an house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house <clears throat> was great. Um, sorry, excuse me, these sinuses are just getting to me. Uh, Matthew twelve twenty seven. And if I, by Beelzebub, cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. <laughs> Okay, so Christ taught it. Uh, Paul also taught it. Uh, Romans 2, 6, who will render to every man according to his deeds. 2 Corinthians 5, 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. 2 Corinthians 6, 1, we then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Philippians 2.12 Wherefore my brethren sorry my beloved is what he said Wherefore my beloved as ye have always obeyed not as in my presence only but now much more in my absence work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And Peter also taught this. Uh, Acts 10.35 he said But in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. 1 Peter 2.12 Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles that whereas they speak against you as evildoers they may be uh, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. Also in 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 8 through 11 Finally be ye all of one mind having compassion one of another love as brethren be pitiful be courteous, not rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, but contrarywise blessing, 
knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips, that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him speak peace and ensue it. Second Peter 1.10 Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. James also taught this. Chapter 2, uh, verse 14, verse 20, verse 24, and verse 26. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Verse 24. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Verse 26, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And then, of course, uh, the Apostle John taught this. 1 John chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. Uh, then in chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, and then verse 22 through 24. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Uh, verse 22. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. Uh, final point, Revelation also teaches this. Uh, chapter 2, verse 5. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. Uh, chapter 3, and verse 15. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. Uh, chapter 14, verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. And then, of course, here in chapter 20, uh, the next verse, 13, also says, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to to their works. Okay, so that is uh, the books that were open. I gave you a bunch of uh, different books that there might be. Again, it's no exclusive list. Um, I think we can all agree the, <laughs> that the Bible will be there and that there is going to be some kind of a book of remembrance of some kind of uh, recording deeds and all this other thing. But uh, let's move on here in verse 12. Uh, <clears throat> the next phrase says, And another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
this is also called the Lamb's Book of Life. Uh, the Book of Life, Lamb's Book of Life. And this represents redemption. Redemption. Now, this book is mentioned quite often throughout the historical record of the Old Testament. Uh, this is not a book that just came about in Revelation. Uh, it's mentioned right back at the beginning, really. Uh, Moses mentions it in intercession for his people. In, uh, Exodus 32, 32. He said, Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. If you've never read that verse before, uh, it's worth noting to go and read that. Um, and I know there's been sermon after sermon about it, and, and maybe you've never heard about it before. But that verse where he starts out, he says, Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and then beside that word, there's two dashes. Okay? And people speculated just what's going on, why it stops, why Moses pauses there. Obviously, he's thinking... Uh, and then he says, well, you know what? And if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. So obviously, he's got a book written with something there. Now, from this first mention, we can see just how far back this book goes and that it was common knowledge of its existence. Now, I'm not saying that that book started here in Exodus 32. I'm just saying this is the first mention of it, and he and he recalls it in the fact that, you know, it's a book that's known of even at that time. Uh, it's also mentioned in Isaiah 4 and verse 3. And it shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion and he that remaineth in Jerusalem shall be called holy, even everyone that is written among the living in Jerusalem. So, it's talking about those that are alive are written. Ezekiel 13, 9. And mine hand shall be upon the prophets that see vanity and that divine lies. They shall not be in the assembly of my people, neither shall they be written in the writing of the house of Israel. Neither shall they enter into the land of Israel, and ye shall know that I am the Lord God. And then one of the clearest passages in the Old Testament about this uh, book, of the, the book of life is in Psalms chapter 69 and verse 28 which says, let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. Okay, now, this poses a question. Why would this book be used here? This is obviously a book that records the names of, basically, let's just say it's the names of those in heaven, those allowed to be in heaven. Why would that book be used here? Now, this book is mentioned by name apart from all the other books because of its critical importance. Now, where the phrase, the books, records the unbelievers' works, this book records their lack of faith. Their lack of faith. Uh, just the appearance of this book of life is proof that access to God is only by faith alone. If salvation could be by works, then what is found in the other books would be sufficient enough for judgment alone. It wouldn't be requiring this book if works was enough. Uh, Dr. Anthony Garland observes, and I quote, those who have not trusted in the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, will be sadly disappointed to find how they have been deceived. 
Their self-righteousness is no righteousness after all. While living, they sought to establish their own righteousness and refused the gift of righteousness provided by God. And he quotes Romans 10 and verse 3. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. So, again, why would this book be used here? It's not because the unbelievers' names will be written in it, but the proof that they were not, or are not, I should say, are not. Now, some suggest uh, that there will even be a blank spot where the unbeliever's name would have been recorded. Uh, now, when I talked about this, I mentioned, uh, if, if some of you are old enough to remember, uh, the old phone books we used to get. Um, and it had everybody's name by alphabetical order, their, their last name, and their phone number, their public phone number. Most people's phone numbers back then uh, were public. And if it was restricted, I, I think you even had to pay to have it be restricted. Um, and the, the, the book that I'm referring to, the, the local city, which would have been Greensboro, okay? Uh, we had a great big Yellow Pages. That was the company that put out the phone book, the Yellow Pages. And it was because it was a yellow paperback book. Uh, the book just grew and grew and grew. And then it got to where uh, they had to divide up the people that lived in uh, another town, High Point, and then those in Greensboro. And so you'd have to actually go to the city and then look in alphabetical order. You couldn't just look up uh, Kim Jones and find her name and then figure out whether she was in High Point or Greensboro. You'd have to know whether she lived in High Point or Greensboro and then look her name up. Or James Brown. Uh, you'd have to know what city. And then it got to where it split it out even further in Summerfield and Climax, Julian, and all that. And it got to where it, it just got so big uh, and so many people were in it that they had to get rid of it. But to find a person's name, you had to look in alphabetic order of their last name. And then, of course, the, if you're talking about a name like Jones, there's half a million Jones. So you'd have to know what their first name was. And what they're saying here is that in this book of life, that that when when Christ shows them this book of life, uh, there's going to be a spot there uh, where their name was supposed to be. It's blotted out. It's, it's not going to be, uh, okay, well, here's a, pay, a list of all kind of jumbled up names. Your name's not on it, so, you know, you're not, you're not in the book of life. I mean, the argument could be, well, Lord, it could be at the very end. Look at the very end. Uh, might have been wrote, written in last thing, you know, or something like that. Uh, there's going to be no argument. It, 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 they're gonna, not going to have anything to say. So uh, however it is, uh, there's going to be some very clear way that God's going to show them that their name is not in the book. Uh, now, another group actually suggests that their names actually will be in the book, but it will be blotted out. And they use scripture to back up that, that thought. Uh, back to where we were talking about Moses in Exodus chapter 32. It says in verse 32 and verse 33, Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Now to blot him out 
is to remove it. Their name was in the book, and God's talking about removing that name. Okay? Uh, Deuteronomy 29.20 The Lord will not spare him, but then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy shall smoke against that man. Man, that's a scary thought right there. You ever been smoked before? Yeah. That's what he's saying. <laughs> Lord's going to smoke against that man. And all the curses that are written in this book shall lie upon him, and the Lord shall blot out his name from under heaven. Psalm 69, 28. I think I mentioned that before. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Now, having read them passages, let me say this to be clear. This blotting out is not evidence of losing your salvation. Once saved, you're always saved. Okay? Write that down. It's a fact. You cannot lose your salvation. What it's saying here is that God is going to be able to show these people that they had the opportunity, that the deck was not stacked against them from beginning. There's not going to be the line where their name should have been that's not going to be there. There's going to be some evidential way that God's going to show them Look, right here is where your name was supposed to be, and it's not there. It's your fault. It's not my fault. It's your fault. Okay? Now, this blotting out process. Uh, it was an ancient method of removing the writing from parchment by the application of such a fluid as the muratic acid, which immediately dissolves the chemicals which make the blackening principle of most inks. Now, in the East India inks, being formed only by simple black, such as burnt ivory or cork uh, and gum water, uh, may be wiped clean off from the surface of the paper or parchment by the application of a wet sponge so as to not leave any remaining marks at all. <clears throat> so this blotting out was a method that they used. Um, paper and parchment was, was something that was very expensive. Uh, they didn't have manufacturing companies, you know, printing out stacks and uh, leaves of paper left and right. This stuff was expensive, and it was very rare to get a hold of. Uh, so if you had some, uh, you kept it, and you used it over and over and over again. And the way you could do that is if you'd write something on it, uh, you had a method of removing that writing so that you could write something else on it. Okay? So, this book of life, it will be used to confirm what information is gathered from the other books previously mentioned. So, whether the books or the book of life is examined, all conspire to declare the justice, the solemn but most affecting righteousness of God's final irrevocable sentence. Okay, uh, the next thought uh, or phrase in verse 12. And the dead were judged. And the dead were judged. Uh, Theodore Munger, M-U-N-G-E-R, Theodore Munger, or Theodore T. Munger, if you need to know that, uh, once wrote, and I quote, It is related of Daniel Webster, the reality of whose moral endowments no one disputes, that when once asked what was the greatest thought that had ever occupied his mind, he replied, the fact of my personal accountability 
to God. Eliminate accountability, and man drops into the category of instinct and natural desire. If he is a savage, he becomes a beast. If he is civilized, he becomes virtually a criminal. Freedom and conscience imply accountability. Accountability implies rendering account, and this implies a judgment. Such is the logic that covers human life, few and simple in its links, but strong as adamant and inexorable as fate. End quote. Uh, Theodore Munger nailed it down. <laughs> I mean, there's got to be accountability. There has to be. If not, then we're nothing but mere animals. And society today is trying to turn us back into that. Uh, look at the look at these schools where they're letting the kids act like cats and dogs and um, <laughs> have these uh, uh, litter boxes. I, come on, man, really? I I tell you, we we in a world of hurt, y'all. We are in a world of hurt. Okay. Um, couple more phrases. Let's see if we can get through verse 12 here. Uh, next one. Uh, out of those things which were written in the books. Now the phrase things which were written describes details written in the past. This is a record of all their good and bad deeds. This is not just bad deeds. These are good and bad deeds. And they will be judged on both their deeds as well as their knowledge. These judgments are not just at the end of a person's life. They are at the very end of time for a reason. And that reason is that some evil in a person's life lives on and on. Uh, W.A. Criswell, uh, in, in his sermon on the Great White Throne, uh, he said it best. He used an example in his own life. Uh, and I'm going to quote what he said, and, and you'll understand what I mean. Uh, he said, and I quote, I remember when I was a youth in the little town in which I was growing up, I saw a man take his little boy and teach that little boy to curse and to be filthy. And the imaginations that he put in that little boy's mind were sordid. Now that father is dead, and that little boy has grown to manhood outside of the orbit of God, following in the steps of that vile and wicked father. He will reap not only the judgment of the sin in his own life, but he will reap someday the recurring judgment of the seeds of vile wickedness that he planted in the life of his little boy. That's why the judgment day is at the end day. End quote. I, that, I can't state it any clearer than that. Uh, there's actually scriptural precedence that indicates there will be degrees of punishment based on sinfulness, as well as greater or lesser light of knowledge and response or lack of it to that light. Uh, Matthew 11, verses 20 through 24. Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done, because they repented not. Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. And thou, Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. 
For if the mighty works which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Man, that's saying something when you're, you're worse off than Sodom. I mean, that, that's like the worst of the worst in any sermon. <laughs> uh, Luke chapter 12, 47, 48. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. John 19, 11, Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. That's out of Jesus Christ's own mouth. Greater sin. Uh, no one will be able to claim they didn't know or they had never heard because every man entering the world will have received sufficient revelation to seek God. Although the revelation in nature is not enough to save a man, it is sufficient to condemn those who fail to respond. Uh, Psalms 19, 1-4. Uh, we read it before. I don't have time to read it again because I'm running out of time. I'm trying to get to the end. Romans 1, 20-22. 20-22. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Uh, along with God's revelation in nature, God provided another form of general revelation. That's the law written upon men's hearts. Uh, that's Romans chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. Again, running out of time, so let's get through this. Paul also explains that those who never came to faith steadfastly rejected God, not with a passive rejection, where they slowly drifted away, but uh, but rather it was an act of rebellion. That's Romans chapter 1, verse 18, and then verse 28 through 32. Uh, final thought. According to their works. This phrase tells us these books contain information about the individuals. To determine what kind of information uh, will be known can be found in the last phrase according to their works which tells us the information will be total all of their deeds good and bad um bunch of information <laughs> i can't even read all this i'm sorry uh just got caught here uh now oliver green he makes a point out too that in the book of jude in verse six uh, the fallen angels will be judged here also. Uh, verse 6 says, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting change under darkness unto the judgment of the great day, which will be this time. Okay, that's verse 12. So we finished that far. Um, not bad. <laughs> okay. Uh, running out of time, so let me say it. Thank you, thank you for listening. Uh, hope you enjoyed that. Um, continue to pray for me, pray for each other, and uh, pray for your local church, okay? Have a great day, and God bless you.